It's a good video. Uh, you'll have to check out our Facebook page uh, later today to have a look at it yourself. Uh, here's a question. What is wrong with this picture? What is wrong with this picture? Do you see it? The words say, enter here. The problem is, it's on a do not enter sign. Confusing? Good for learner drivers. Kind of conflicting neural pathways, saying I don't quite get what this sign is trying to do. And I wonder if sometimes it can feel a bit like that with your relationship with God. There's so much in this world that shouts that God is real, that God is relational. From your desire for meaningful work and to make a contribution to the lives of others, our longing for love and to belong to a community, our commitment to fight the common enemies of death and disease, so much that points to something bigger than ourselves, someone bigger than ourselves. Because relationships and love and belonging are so intimately stitched into the way that life in this world is designed to be. Where is the enter here sign for knowing the God who is real and relational? That's what we want to know, isn't it? Where is the enter here sign to know this God who is there? This God who is real and who is a God of relationship? We ask the question because there is so much do not enter around this world as well. The cultural clunkiness of the church, the competing narratives of all the worldview shapers around us, the constant bellowing of evil and injustice in the world, the conflicted thoughts and feelings that go on inside of me, the seeming final verdict of death that hangs over each of us. Good Friday is the day when we see in sharp relief that God is both real and he is relational and he has acted in Jesus to, to tear down and to get rid of and to deal with everything around us and in us that says do not enter when it comes to a relationship with God and points us clearly to the, the way in, the enter here. The enter here of knowing God and knowing life and knowing the eternal, unshakable hope that Jesus brings. That's what Good Friday is all about. And we're coming at it today through the lens of this story that Jesus told, this parable. This is where we're up to as a church, as we're journeying with Jesus towards Jerusalem, along the way, teaching those who would listen about his kingdom and about how it is that we can have a relationship with God. And we can see from the very start of our story in Luke 18 that it's to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else that Jesus is telling this parable. They were confident of their own right standing before God based on their own achievements, their own CV, their own list of things that they have done and can do and will do to contribute to their own 
right standing before God. And to those who were confident in their own right standing before God, on their own two feet, Jesus says, you are like the Pharisee in this parable. Now, some of us have been around church long enough that we've been conditioned to see Pharisees as the black hats of the narrative in Luke's Gospel. But for Jesus' first century hearers, the Pharisees were meant to be the good guys. They were the upstanding people. They were the people that you, you wanted your kids to be like. Look at them. Be like them. Religiously observant, morally sensitive upstanding members of the community. But Jesus says all those things add up in the Pharisee's mind to a confidence in their own right standing before God rather than in the eyes of the community. And so we have these two men who go up to the temple to pray. It's a good instinct, isn't it? It's a good instinct, it's a picture of the fact that God is, is real and he is relational, he wants to hear from people, he's communicative. And the temple was a place that God said, here is relationship, I want to be with you, I want to be in your midst, I want to know you, I want you to know me. The temple said about a relationship with the God of the universe, enter here. But the temple was a little bit like our sign. Because while the temple said, enter here, God is relational, come and know and be known by God. There was so much of the temple that said, do not enter. That while God wanted relationship and invited relationship and commanded relationship from his people, there is still a barrier to the intimacy to the perfection, to the closeness of that relationship that we crave, that we were made for, that God desires from his people. And so all through the temple, as these two men walk in to pray, there are signs that remind them that there are barriers to knowing God and being in relationship with him. Sacrifices that need to be made, places within the temple that you cannot go, a whopping great big 60-foot curtain that says God is in here and you are out here and there's a whopping great big barrier that says you cannot enter a relationship with God in the way that you desire, in a way that you were made, in a way that God created you to have. The question of righteousness and right standing before God is really a question of how do we get rid of that barrier? The barrier of sin and selfishness. The barrier of our own making because we've rejected God and failed to treat him as, as he deserves and give him the place in our lives that he is meant to have. See, sin is a very religious sounding word that we often associate with those things that we know to be naughty but kind of fun. The Bible says that's not what sin is. Sin is treating God like he doesn't exist. Sin is living as if you're in charge of the world and your own life and not God. 
And so as these two men come to pray, one of them thinks that his right standing before God, his relationship with God, intimacy with God, is going to be found in his own righteousness. And so he brings his CV to God. This is who I am, God. Look at all I have done. Actually, in case you haven't noticed, I've done more than what you legally required of me. And one of the great failures of this Pharisee standing before God is that he wasn't looking in front of him at the giant great big curtain and all the barriers to human relationship with the eternal God. He was looking behind him, comparing himself not to the infinitely high and perfect and holy standards of God, but he's looking around him, comparing himself to other people. It's like that story of the two guys who are out hunting in Africa. This isn't a statement of what I think about that. And one guy, as they begin to be chased by a lion, stops to put on his shoes. What are you doing? You're not going to be able to outrun a lion, no matter what shoes you're wearing, mate. I don't have to outrun the lion, I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Right? And sometimes we can think about our relationship with God like that. I don't need to be as good as God. I just need to be better than people around me. And yet there's a whopping great big curtain in front of the temple that says, do you really think that your own good deeds, your own religious observance, coming to church on Good Friday, ticking all the boxes, being kind to your mother, is going to deal with the problem of sin and death that stands between you and God and separates you, not just physically but eternally, from knowing the God who rules the world. This Pharisee thinks that he can high-jump that curtain simply because he's had a few wheat picks in the morning. It's foolish, it's fatal... And it's eternally dangerous to view God like that. It reflects a very high view of himself and a very low view of God. It underestimates sin as the eternal barrier between us and God that it truly is. Contrasted with the tax collector. The tax collector who is not simply a traitor working on behalf of the Roman occupying forces, but a thief who more often than not would stand at the city gates and extort money from people. The rule with taxes were you had to pay as much as they could get out of you. This tax collector who's a thief and a traitor, who's quite clearly the bad guy, He stands at a distance, knowing that on his own two feet he cannot come close to God. And he won't even look up, recognising that he doesn't have the righteousness that would enable you to look God square in the eye, the righteous and holy God of the universe. And so he beats his breast and recognises his failing and acknowledges the distance that sin creates between him and God. 
here's the thing, right? Sometimes, when it comes to humility, we can think it's just about feeling bad about yourself. And so while the Pharisee's rejoicing in his own righteousness, sometimes we can feel like the opposite of that is to rejoice in our own unrighteousness, to dwell on our own failures, to keep looking inwards at how bad we are and how far short we are of God's glory, which is all true. But Jesus' response in this story that he's calling for from people is not just to keep looking inside of you to see how bad you are and how big the problem is, although you need to do that. His point is that we need to stop looking at ourselves at all, whether because we think we're too great or whether we think we're too awful. Because thinking you're too great will not save you and thinking you're too awful will not save you, you need to look away to Jesus. C.S. Lewis famously said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And the point for this tax collector is that he sees his need, he recognises the distance that sin creates between him and God. And how does he respond? God, have mercy on me. Can't jump over that great curtain in the temple by your own goodness. Can't crawl under it by your own badness. You need the mercy of God in Jesus to get rid of it. Have a look at Luke 23. Up on the screen, we read these verses. That it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. Jesus' death has cosmic implications and the curtain of the temple was torn into Jesus' death removes the barrier of sin Jesus' death says enter here know God here receive forgiveness here Find your righteousness here. The eternal life and the certain hope that we so crave and long for in our hearts, that we try to find in so many wrong places in our lives. At the cross, we see the death of Jesus that deals with everything that stands in the way of us knowing eternal life and certain hope, the forgiveness of sins and a righteousness, a right standing before God that's not on our knees or on our two feet, but it's found in Jesus and his mercy alone.
when Jesus died, the way that he died, the person who he is, the centurion in charge of seeing him dead, declares, surely this was a righteous man. And it's it's the death of the righteous one on the cross for the unrighteous ones, you and me, that enables us to be brought back to God. That we can enter in through the curtain, the book of Hebrews says, that is his body, broken for us, torn for us on the cross, that we might know the God of relationship, the eternal, sovereign and loving God who longs to be known and to know you and at the cross says, enter here. I'm going to pray that each of us would know that this Easter. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that we're saved by Jesus, not because of how great we are or how bad we are, but because of how great he is. His righteousness alone that brings us peace with you, the forgiveness of our sins, the eternal life and certain hope that we're so desperately in need of can be found in Jesus and his death. May each of us know today the joy of that reality and may we trust in Jesus alone for all of those amazing blessings. Have mercy on us, we pray. Amen.